0: I'm reading the second half of uh, Matthew 6, uh, starting at uh, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they?" Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendour, was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith?
1: There is an unspoken assumption uh, in our modern society that in order to be happy, uh, one has to have freedom of choices. Uh, in fact, the more choices we've had, uh, the, the, more we, the more choices that we are given, the happier we should be. Uh, that's the basis of uh, our free market economy, isn't it? Uh, and therefore, we like to have many things, many options given to us in life. Uh, However, there is one study that is done by a uh, social uh, scientist, uh, which suggests that, you know, this Professor Barry Swartz, who's done this study that says that actually uh, it's been found that the more choices we have, the more options in life we are given, ultimately we become more and more unhappy. He's written a book called The Paradox of Choice, uh, and you would think, well, that doesn't make sense. Uh, isn't, we should be more happy. All right? If you can go in and you have 10 different kinds of tomato sauce, isn't that good? Um, and you have 20 different kinds of cookies to pick from, wow, that's the good life, isn't it? Uh, and actually, what Barry is saying is, no, it actually, that, it's not true. The more options we have in life, the unhappier we become for two reasons. Number one, uh, it, we become unhappy because it leads to decision paralysis. How many times have you stood in front of the, you know, shopping center, oh, and you go, my goodness, I just want a simple tomato sauce, All right? And then you start to pick, oh, which, which one should I pick? There's got to be a right answer here. Decision paralysis happens to me. I don't know about you, but these days I just go, oh, my goodness, too, many, too much information, too many options. The second reason why it leads to dissatisfaction is that after you've done the research, after you pick everything and you, you, you choose one and you walk away and you pay and you still, you're not sure, is this the best option, right? And you read a review that says, oh no, this is not the best option. Another review says, oh, you should have bought the other brand. And your, your satisfaction just goes down because you keep thinking that there is a better option out there, all right? So we you, you know what it's like, you know, so for example, you go and buy a pair of jeans. Uh, it, it, these days, there are so many different kinds. And then after you bought that, you realize that the thing is cheaper online. What do you do? You become unhappy. So the more choices we have, the more information we have that is available to us to see what are the options, the unhappier we seem to be. It seems like, you know, that's why studies are finding that the more people are involved, the more people get into social media, you know, and try to find out what, who, every, what everybody else is doing, there's a tendency that they become unhappy because all of a sudden you realize that, well, maybe my choice is not the best choice. The other person seems to have picked the right husband, the right wife, (laughs) the right job, the right holiday, the right suburbs. The more options we have, the more we know, we we seem to get ourselves into trouble. It just breeds envy. Someone else has more friends, um, like I say, more loving relationship, and we missed out, isn't it? Don't forget that we live in a world where we're also targeted, right? It's a world where it's not just neutral. Uh, Val and I are convinced that LD has planted a listening device in our living room. No joke. Time and time again, we sit down and we say, so maybe it's time to get this. And sure enough, that week, right, the, the specials will come out, oh, just, just like what we need, have you ever discovered that when you, you do a search on Google, for example, and you're shopping, ah, here's you know, I'm shopping for maybe a, a camera or whatever it is, and the next thing, there's a feed that comes up you know, in your social media that says, hey, this camera is good for you. We live in a world where there's so many options and people are vying for our attention, giving us all this information and it leads to information paralysis. It leads actually to dissatisfaction. So, okay, we know the problem. What's Barry saying? How do we solve this thing? Uh, Barry Swartz has this simple line that says, good enough. You have to cultivate simplicity in your mind to say, look, I'm just... Pick this thing and be focused on this one thing and just be happy that that's good enough for me. And you have to ignore all the other stimuli that is happening and say, this is the one thing that I am going to focus on. This one thing, right? this, this thing, this focus is what I need. And, and, you know, Jesus spoke about more than 2,000 years ago and Jesus would say the same thing. Just focus on your one thing. Keep life simple. If you run so many other things, you're going to be unhappy. You're going to be worried. You're going to be anxious. Focus on on that one thing. You know, Jesus spoke two thousand years ago and it's amazing how his wisdom still applies today. And what is that one thing? You know, you know, we're in the Sermon of the Mount and Jesus has been kind of teaching about what happiness in life is, and he comes time and time again back to this one thing. The one thing that Jesus wants us to listen to today is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well, right? That one thing that you choose to focus your attention on and trust the Heavenly Father for all the other things that He's going to provide for you. Um, I want to unpack this. In a way, I want for us to discern to focus on three things, right? What does it mean for us to seek first God's kingdom? Secondly, what does it mean to seek God's righteousness and then fi- finally, when Jesus says, all these things are given to you, is that a blank check? Right? Jesus is going to give us everything now, uh, and uh, how does it work? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at this passage in detail. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, you are the one thing, you're the one person that we need. We want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and trust you to provide all the other things in our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, what does it mean to seek uh, God's kingdom? Well, it's in our Lord's Prayer, isn't it? It's not in the passage that we read, but it is in chapter 6, when Jesus was teaching these disciples, right, about how you should pray. And in that Lord's Prayer, the first two lines are probably the most important line. And it begins with, Our Father in heaven. That's the focus. Uh, Your king hallowed be your name. May your name be lifted up and glorified. May your name be considered holy. Uh, And your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom, meaning that we are to focus our attention uh, on things that are eternal, things that are from God and not things that are on earth. Seek first those things that will bring glory to God's name, first and foremost. It means to reorientate our priorities in life, uh, to make sure that whenever we make a decision, whenever we are to um, seek out a career choice or a partner, we ask the question, what is God's will for me in this situation? What would please him? What will make his kingdom be more obvious and glorify in my life? Uh, it is to live our life in accordance with the will of God. You know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote a very uh, helpful book. It's called Letter to Malcolm about prayer. Uh, and in this book, he's got these different letters. He's kind of having this imaginary conversation with a friend called Malcolm, and he's talking about how does prayer works, uh, and he has a segment on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and when he came to this verse where it says, you know, every time he reads the Lord's Prayer... Where he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So each day as he uh, reflect and pray on that prayer, he says the emphasis for him is the word done. We ask God for God's will to be done. Let him to think about his day. And ask the question for himself, Lord, today, of all the things that I'm going to do, what are the things that I'm going to do that will accomplish your will? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And that applies globally for us, you know, in this world. We pray for God's kingdom to come. It's going to come when Jesus comes. But it also applies for us individually every day in our lives. Uh, in in the minute details of what are we going to do today, our shopping, our washing. They're all parts of things that God asks us to do, right? So we shouldn't just think of God's kingdom coming as the big things, right? Or we're going to do and evangelize our neighbors. We're going to evangelize the world. Those are important. But there is an aspect of God's kingdom that is also in the mundane, in the here and now. Uh, Me serving my family is doing God's will, because that's what God wants me to do. And so what would you do today as you you pray and you seek God's kingdom every day, you pray for God's kingdom to come, what would be the question that you'd be asking yourself, Lord, how am I going to live my life today? What am I going to accomplish today that your kingdom might come? Does that make sense? do that every morning. Every morning when you have an opportunity to wake up, you first thing in the morning, you pray. You read God's word if you have the opportunity to do that. And the prayer that I often pray for myself is, Lord, the work that I want to do today may be according to your will, so that your will be done on earth. And at the end of the night, when you have an opportunity to reflect, good exercise to think back through the day and say, Lord, of all the things that I've done today, the running around, the busyness of life, getting kids out of, you know, to school, back and back from school, getting their lunches ready, paying the bills, making sure that we're on top of our work, all that clutter, all that noise, all right, put it all aside and ask, of all those things, Lord Jesus, what are the things that I've done today that I could say, your kingdom has come? closer as a result of me being dead. It may not always be spectacular. Sometimes it's it's really in the mundane. It is in the relationship that we honor in the name of Jesus that we can see God's kingdom come. Seek first his kingdom because his kingdom ultimately is the most important thing in our life. Everything else is going to fade away but God's kingdom is going to last forever. What will you do with your life? Now, second thing that we've been asked to do is that, you know, we are to seek God's kingdom, and then we are to seek God's righteousness, right? Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. What does the word righteousness mean? How are we to do that? Does it mean for us to always be you know in a spiritual mode always be conscious of God's presence? Yeah, maybe. But actually in context righteousness just means, you know, being counted as approved by God. That's what righteousness means. God is holy, God is pure. And what we want to do is though we won't be able to do it perfectly because we're still sinful, Yet it is important for us to continue to remember that we need to, to live our life in such a way that we are approved by God. All right. In chapter 6, Jesus gives three examples of how the, the difference between seeking approval from man and seeking approval from God and by God. All right, so the first one was giving your money for charity. If you have your Bible open to ch- the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus says, when you give, give it in secret. Don't be like the hypocrites. They give in public. They blow a trumpet. They name drop, right? Oh, you know, did you know that I donated this thing? This, this, this is a result of my, my good works. Jesus says that your reward has been received. But when you do it secretly, the Father rewards you. The Father approves you. The Father is going to provide for you. So the three things that Jesus said was, you're, you're giving, of course you're praying, and of course you're fasting. Each of those things are what we call spiritual disciplines. Uh, and there is a, that what Jesus is saying, that look, we do them because we love God. But if we do them because we are also at the same time wanting to come across as being religious, being holy, uh, then there is a danger that our motives becomes colored by the fact that we're seeking approval from men, and maybe it could be anyone. The most important thing for us is to seek God's approval. So that approval needs to come from God and not from man. In reality, I find that it's quite hard. Uh, we all want to be accepted, don't we? We all want to be loved. We all want to be approved by someone. Uh, and, and so therefore, the, the challenge for us is to say, while we are doing that, is to always seek God's kingdom first and seek God's approval first. And then ask God to help us to keep that the one thing. Right? Never mind what other people are doing. Never mind what other people are saying. In our heart of hearts, we need to keep that you know uh, laser focus on who Jesus is and what Jesus has called us individually to do. Uh, there was a man who brought his uh, daughter to, uh, uh, to uh, he watched his daughter play a very important basketball game. Uh, it was the finals, uh, and the father was there watching his daughter, and it was a very tense match, uh, and in the end, that, that her team, the daughter's team, won. The father was so excited, went down there and said, oh, congratulations, congratulations, well done, daughter, you did really, really fantastic. Uh, and the daughter said, "Thanks, Dad. But did the coach say anything about it? Did the coach like my playing? Did I do okay? What, did I, you know, did I play well? You know." And the father was saying, "Hang on, you know, this, there's something here. I'm I'm here supporting you, and yet the most important, the most important approval is from someone else called the coach. And in the same way, it's, it's a little bit like that, isn't it? That." God is almost like that coach, right? That's that, that, that for that daughter. The most important approval comes from not the father, but the coach. The coach is the one whom this daughter feels. No, that, that approval is most important. I read that in a book that actually says uh, that's not correct. Father needs to uh, deal with that and say, no, actually, it is the father's opinion that is the most important. Your coach will come and go. The coach will find another player. But the father is always there. That's the twist, isn't it? Friends, you will have coaches in your life. You will have people that you look up to. That's the successful model. Bill Gates, oh, he's, he's, he's over now. Someone else. Elon Musk or whoever right? you know whoever you, you always have a coach that you look up to and say yeah yeah you know I actually want to be you know respected by him if only Tim Keller says Josh your sermon was fantastic I listened to it and I you know I repented I'll put it on a website it will never happen more importantly I want my father to say Josh you were faithful you connected you love your people You want them, you encourage them to serve me and love me. Seek the Father's approval beyond anyone, before anyone, that's the most important thing. Seek first his kingdom. Things that will please God, make God's kingdom more glorified. Seek his righteousness, seek approval by God, even though we know we're not perfect, even though we're not going to get there all the time. But our Father wants us to do that because he wants, us, he wants us to depend on him. And so finally, what about all these things? Oh, do you know, in the context of uh, uh, Matthew 6, you know, Jesus talk about seeking treasures in heaven, not worrying, not running after food and things. And then he says, if you do this thing, all these things will be given to you as well. Uh, I know there are people who says, you know, uh certain Christian tradition will have a, a, a kind of theology that says if you give God 10%, God will give you back 100%. All right? Name it and claim it. The more you give to God, the more God is going to return to you. I don't think that's what the passage is saying here. Uh, Jesus is saying all these things will be given to you because you have a heavenly Father who knows your need and cares for you And sometimes, you know, we'll we'll give you what what you need for that moment. God will never, or God may may not always give us what we want, but he will always give us what is good because he is a good heavenly father. And sometimes God says no to us because it is good for us. All these things, I think, refer to the, the, the worries of life, the things that we're worried about, anxious about. Trust God. Uh, we we're, we're live in a culture that is governed by things. We, we want things, don't we? Because they make us feel secure. Uh, when we have things, we, we feel like we, we own them. But the reality, again, is just like the paradox of choice. The more we have, actually, the more we might be in bondage to the things that we own. Uh, the best illustration is this person up here, you know, it, Gollum. Gollum from the movie, The Lord of the Rings, isn't it? Uh, Gollum always comes to me first thing when I think about the bondage of a person to a thing. You might think that you hold the precious in, in your hand, but after a while, you realize that it, actually it's, it's, it's got a hold on you, isn't it? And, and so Jesus says, lift your eyes to heaven, Right? Where your, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Watch your heart. Seek first the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. And then God will provide you sufficient things. You don't have to run after these things. Jesus says the pagan runs after them. Instead, we are to put our trust in our heavenly Father. And again, we come back to the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is so simple, isn't it? Give us today our daily bread. Just enough. Just enough. If you give me two little things, I I might be tempted to, to covet more things. If you give me too many things, I might be complacent and forget that these things come from you. If you give me in advance, then I forget to trust you. Jesus says, give us our daily bread. Putting God's first, seeking his approval is a day-by-day decision. And then as we realize that we are sinners needing God's grace, we ask God for forgiveness. And as a result of that, we we know that we have to be gracious to the people who have sinned against us. There's a version that says, forget our debts, Right, money that we owe people just as we are gracious and generous to others. How do we apply this? Again, I think we make decisions in our life every day, isn't it? The world says that if you have more options, you, if you have more money, more purchasing power, more freedom, that that is going to lead to happiness. Christian needs to be counterculture. culture we, we need to think differently. We need to realize that when God called us, he called us into a life of dependency on him. And so, here it is. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as we prepare to receive God's generosity to us in the Lord's Supper, it's a great reminder, isn't it? That we who are poor receive the riches that comes from God through his son, Jesus Christ. Everything that we need as a church has been provided for us in the word of God, as well as in the meal that God provides for us to participate, this is our story. Right. Our story is that we're part of a bigger picture of what God is doing in his world, and all of us has been called to be a part of it. Uh, we're going to sing a song uh, that prepares us for that, about, uh, reminds us of God's amazing grace. I invite the musicians to come up.